Bible, by the way. I forgot to mention there's some in the back here if you want to grab that, uh, if you'd like to follow along. Otherwise, the rest of you were in 1 John chapter 5 and BTW. This is the last sermon in the 1 John series. We've been working through this book for like the last, uh, I think about since February, if I'm not mistaken. So it's been a little bit of time. And uh, this is, we're rounding third base here, coming into home. So I'm going to read from 1 John 5. So if you would stand with me. We'll read from verses 13 to 21. John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know and have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have asked, or we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We'll get to that. (laughs) We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. As every author would end a book, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. (laughs) Pray with me if if you would. God, as we look at your scripture, these words that uh, were written so long ago, but yet in some divine and spiritual and mysterious way have this power and this aliveness and freshness even today. I pray that you might make Uh, our hearts receptive to the words that you want to speak. God, I pray that we wouldn't get stuck in uh, the words uh, that were written, but that we would be open to the word of God, um, the revelation of you and your son, Jesus. And by your spirit, would you make yourself known to us today, we pray. In your name, all God's people said, Amen. amen. Okay, so we're wrapping up this study in 1 John, and I'm excited to let you know um, that we are, uh, we'll be spending the rest of the summer, so about seven weeks in a, in a series coming up called Channels. And uh, we want to look at uh, basically the, spir- the, the disciplines of the spiritual life. So uh, in the next seven weeks, as we kind of round out summer and head towards fall, we want to take seven weeks and just look at a number of different disciplines that I believe and that I think we as a community hold this idea that this is less about rules and regulations and it's more about these things these disciplines, are uh, they tap into something about what it means to be human and what it means to be created by God. And so these are things that are less about you should do this or you should do that or you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, but more about ways in which we can create channels in our hearts to sort of um, capture the flow of God, right? If you imagine a river and water just kind of washing over a board, instead if there were channels that allowed that, that water source to kind of gather in one place... It's my conviction that the spiritual disciplines are something that help us create these channels in our hearts that allow us to capture and sort of receive what God wants to give more fully. So that's what we're going to do in the next couple weeks. I'm really excited about that. As we wrap up this this study, I find it hilarious um, that one of the most difficult and bizarre texts is right at the end. Like we've been running for miles and miles and miles, and the finish line is now in sight, and it's like there's a 5% incline all the way to the finish. Uh, Like... John talks about sins that lead to death, sins that don't lead to death, praying for some but not praying for others. And it's, if you, I don't know if you had the same experience, but when I read this the first time through, I was like, oh, that one's going to be a doozy. Because uh, I totally didn't get it. 
Uh, but either way, we're going to tackle this one, and, and I hope that uh, um, what I feel like I've learned along the way um, would, would impart some, uh, some gift to you. So that's my hope and prayer for this morning. Um, so what I want to do to sort of tackle this is, uh, these are John's like concluding um, remarks to this group of people. Remember, these are people scattered throughout Asia Minor. These are small groups of churches that John would have had a significant influence on. So very pastoral in that sense. And John kind of concludes with these things. And so I began thinking about what would I say to you if I were leaving? Now, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I have no plan to go anywhere. But if I were going to like write you a letter, I want to write you a letter. Isn't that a tune or something? Um, If I were going to write you a letter and I were going to say something to you, kind of after I, I, I laid a whole bunch of things out that I was concerned about for you and this church and so on and so forth, what might I say? And, and then it started to fall into place. Like, oh yeah, what John's doing here totally makes sense to me if you frame it in that way. So I want to break it up into three different parts, part one, part two, part three, and a couple of chunks of these passages that sort of work together. So part one, I would call approach, and it's verses 13 to 15, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know and have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we, and if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now, uh, this could be like the cosmic vending machine verse, you know, like whatever we ask God, he gives it to us, you know, so on and so forth. Completely different take on this. So here we go. If I want to I uh, draw this out this way. If you can imagine a caveman and a cavewoman, all right, everybody with me? Like caveman, we're talking old school. We're talking primitive, like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, okay? Old caveman, cavewoman. Now, this particular caveman, uh, he comes, these people, of course, would be hunters and gatherers. They would be uh, hunters and farmers. So the caveman comes out of his cave every day, and he goes out to the field, and he begins to realize that as these plants grow, some of them produce fruit. They produce some kind of a, uh, something that they can eat, and he begins to realize that these things actually sustain him and his family, his cavewoman wife, who is just smoking hot. Uh, so the caveman he, he begins to realize that these plants that are out there in the fields, that they produce this fruit and they actually sustain he and his family. Now, he also begins to realize that every single morning, there's this, or every single, there's this rhythm to, to the way he sleeps and then he wakes up and then there's this ball of fire that goes through the sky and it, it's like it rises, comes up out of the earth and it floats in the sky and then at the end of this rhythmic pattern, this thing falls behind the rest of the earth over there And there's this relationship uh, between this fireball in the sky and then these other forms that form in the sky. And these forms, they cover the ball of fire that's in the sky. And then every now and again, they actually like drop water from the sky. And there's this relationship between this ball of fire in the sky and these forms in the sky that drop this water and the plants that sustain the family. Because if there's too much of the ball of fire in the sky, the plants wither and they die. But if there's too much of the forms and the water that comes out of the sky, the seeds and everything else wash away and there's no plants. So there's this relationship that exists between the ball of fire in the sky and the, and the, the forms that drop the water and the plants that grow in the field and them living and dying. And so in a very primal sense, caveman realizes that there are forces beyond himself that govern the way the world works the way that they actually live and move and have their being. 
Now, the cave woman also realizes that there's some sort of rhythmic pattern that happens, and she notices the ball of fire and the forms that drop the water, but there's this other light that happens to be in the night where there's darkness, and there's this ball of light that goes across the sky, and it gets bigger and it gets smaller, and there's this rhythmic pattern that happens to this particular ball of light in the sky. And actually, she begins to realize that this ball of light in the sky and the way it gets bigger and smaller actually is connected to her own body. And the things that are happening in her body and these particular feelings that she has in her body, and that at particular times when the moon looks just right, that there are these really interesting feelings that when they take, when they're followed and they're pursued, actually, um, and this happens monthly, but for caveman, it happens whenever he wakes up. That if these feelings are pursued and followed, that actually there is life that forms inside of her and it grows and it has this rhythm to it. And in some real sense, she recognizes that there are forces outside of her that govern the way her own body works and the way that the things in uh, in the ground work and the way her and caveman work, if you know what I'm talking about. And in a very real sense, they recognize that there are things outside of themselves that govern and that, that... They can't control. Now, as any human might, when they recognize that these things are present, they begin to name them. And so from the very, very beginning of the world, from the very beginning of humans who walked this planet and who grew things and did things humans do, from the very beginning, we have named these things. So if you go back in ancient cultures, you begin to see that there are hundreds and thousands of gods or outside forces that govern and control us and that we can't control that the humans have named. For example, there's a group of people called the Sumerians. These four or 5,000 years before Jesus ever shows up. There are a number of gods. Uh, the god An is the god of the heaven. Enlil was the god of the air. And Enki was the god of fresh water and of male fertility and of knowledge. <laughs> right? All those would be together. Now, the Sumerians actually, interesting to note, the Sumerians, there was a god of beer. Yeah, a god of beer. I'm the only one excited about this. A god of beer, it was a goddess actually named Ninkasi. And you can go back in history and find hymns to the goddess Ninkasi about beer. Yes! I I homebrew, so I I brew my own beer. So I've been, uh, I haven't, no. My beer has nothing to do with Ninkasi. It just tastes good, okay? Um, but so the Sumerians, this is one group of the Babylonians, who you all probably have connected with the, uh, the Jewish creation story. These two people groups lived very close to each other. They had all, uh, all kinds of other gods. There was Apsu and Tiamat, these, this couple that was sort of the god of the, of the primordial waters. And then there was this other guy named Marduk who actually took on Tiamat, the great goddess, and killed Tiamat and her husband and slaughtered all of their children. And then out of this chaos... The, this Marduk created the world that we live. So they had all these different gods. The Egyptians, uh, many of you know. Has anybody ever, skateboarders? Any skateboarders in the room? Osiris, you ever seen the shoes Osiris? Anybody seen those? That's an Egyptian god. One of the nine kind of main gods of Egypt. Uh, there was Atam, Nu, Shu, Tefnut, all these different gods. The point being, friends, that from the beginning of humanity, we have been naming these forces outside of ourselves And the deal was, you just never knew. 
You never knew where you stood in relation to the gods. And so it was this constant effort to try to sacrifice or appease the gods or do it to, you know, we need more rain and so we'll do this or we need less rain, so we'll do that. And you just never knew where you stood on the landscape of the things that were outside of myself as a human caveman guy to try to figure out, okay, where do I stand? You just never knew. Can you think about this? Can you imagine living every single day, not knowing where you stood with the thing that actually defined you and, and, and held your fate in its hand, metaphorically speaking. Can you imagine how absolutely riddling that would be? Psychology tells us that kids that grow up in a family system where they don't know, where they don't know what's coming from mom or dad, where they don't know in one instant they're going to get beaten or the next instant they're going to get a gift, where they don't know what's happening from the people who sustain them, that it, it, it does absolute horrors to them and their, their actual psychology and the way their brain works. Can you imagine living every single day not knowing? And then... John writes, you are a child of God. You are a son or a daughter of the one true God. In fact, not only that, but you know exactly where you stand. Every, you know exactly your relationship to the one creator God because of this one person, Jesus Christ, who has died and who has created the last sacrifice necessary for humans. There's no need for any more sacrifices to be given because you now know where you stand in relationship to God. And this is a God of love. It's not a God of whimsical tyranny, but it's a God who wants good things and who loves you and who created you. So the writer John, the writer of Hebrews, Paul in the New Testament, when they write and they say something like, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That you, anything you ask, you can actually ask. You can actually be in relationship with this God. This is mind-blowing news. This is brand new. I mean, you all are looking at me like, okay. Okay, it's cool. Friends, this is earth-shattering news about God. So when John comes on the scene, I want us to focus less on, well, John says, if we ask God anything according to his will, he hears us and he'll give us whatever we want. That is so not the point of what John's doing here. Okay? He's writing in an ancient Near Eastern culture where there are hundreds and thousands of God and nobody knows where you stand. And John says, no, listen, there is a new story being written. There is a new thing happening and it's happening in the God of the Israelites, the God Yahweh, the one true God who reveals God's self in the person of Jesus and who we now know where we stand or where we can stand in relationship to this God. That there's no more guessing, that there's no more uncertainty, there's no more bizarre tyranny from the gods because we've done whatever or whatever. This is brand new news and it's, it's good news. It's good news that we can know. And so John says, you can have confidence approaching this God. And so as John closes his book, this is something he wants his friends to know. That you, there, is a, there is a relationship that's possible with this God, Yahweh, that is so fundamentally different because of what we know of Jesus Christ, because of what we know that's revealed to us about God and Jesus. 
and you can approach this God with confidence, John says. Now, there were all kinds of assumptions about God, all kinds of information about what God was like that was maybe inaccurate, unhelpful, possibly even damaging. And so I guess I'm wondering, let's just go ahead and fast forward this from about 6,000 years ago to now and ask, are there misconceptions about God that we walk through the doors of this community with? Are there conceptions and preconceived ideas about God that maybe aren't helpful, that maybe are detrimental or harmful? Are there things that we bring through the doors that we believe about God that maybe just are not accurate? I'm thinking about some of the things I've heard about God, this sort of cosmic lightning bolt thrower waiting to just like strike you down when you do something wrong. God is this cosmic judge who's just kind of up there waiting to slam the gavel on your guilt and your whatever and send you to hell. I'm thinking about people who have talked about their relationship or their, their understanding of God connected to their parents. And so for them, God is neglectful. God's somebody that doesn't show up when you need him. God's somebody that actually abandons you and walks out on you. God is somebody that doesn't listen. You, you yell and you scream and you pound the table. And it's like God's ears are deaf to you. Those are, the, those are the conceptions of God that I've heard, that I've even had. And so I just want to remind you that the scriptures tell a very different story this morning. I want to remind you that the things that we may conceive about God because of whatever we saw, whatever we heard, whatever our parents modeled for us, they may or may not, in fact, be helpful and or true. Very, very, very important information. John goes on in verse 16 to 20, and he says something that's just bizarre, right? If you see a brother or sister in sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that does lead to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. (laughs) so weird. All wrongdoing is sin, and there's sin that does not lead to death. So part two, if part one was approach, part two is remain. John says, if you see a brother or sister in sin... You should, that does not lead to death, you should pray for them. Now, as I've kind of studied this and tried to figure out what's John doing here, here's how I'm making sense of it. As I see it, the only way to make sense of this text is to follow some of the logic John has already employed in this text, in this letter. And here is, here is basically the logic he said. There's a group of people who are Jesus followers. Uh, John calls these people brothers and sisters. He calls these people uh, of the light. These are people who are in Christ, who remain, who abide, which is language we've heard earlier about Jesus. And then there's this other group of people, these cessationists, those who are teaching another gospel, those who are uh, of the darkness. John even connects them to the prince of this world, i.e. Satan. He connects them to Cain, who killed his brother Abel. Two different kinds of humanities happening. Now, to be among those who are of Jesus, John says, brothers and sisters, people of the light, people who remain, people who are in Christ, John says, faith in Jesus as the Son of God, the atoning work of God on behalf of humanity is necessary. There's just no other way to get around it. This is what John says. To be a person who's in the light, who's in Christ, all of those things, faith in Christ, that he is who he said he was and did what he said he would do. Uh, This is how we know we're in the light. This is how we know that we're this. Now, if you skip down to verse 18, John says, we know anyone born of God does not continue to sin. And if you remember back in chapter three, we talked about this where John said something like it. He said, no one who lives in, uh, or no one who remains in him, no one who lives in him, 
right, remains in Christ of the light. No one who does this keeps on sinning. And the point was, or the idea was, that folks who have been, who have said yes to Christ, John's idea is no one who lives here remains or has the attitude or the disposition or is practicing sin over and over and over. This isn't their default anymore. Something new has happened in them. They're not of Cain, they're of Christ. So he says that, and I would say the same logic would be employed here. If you're in Christ, even though you sin, which you will, even though you sin, which you will, your sin does not lead to death. And this is really, really important. And this is, I recognize this is kind of like theology 101, and it might be a little dry, but stick with me because this is so, so fundamentally important, and it's so fundamental to the scriptures. John says, if you are in Christ and you have you've said you, you've trusted Christ through faith, then your sin, which you will participate in, does not lead to death because your sin has already died in Christ. Remember, Romans 3, uh, Romans says that the wages of sin is death. The full, like, um, where this thing is headed, when we make decisions that are outside of what God intended, when we make these decisions, the fullness of their effect, where they head, the road that they lead to is ultimately death. And death is essentially to live outside of the way God intended us to live, to be separated from the very thing that created us, to no longer be in relationship to God and the world we live in. This is ultimate death. The scriptures talk about it in all kinds of different ways. Now, a couple weeks ago, I talked about uh, the, the, the day of judgment, as John mentioned in a, uh, few, a few verses back. And I wanted to say that this death that I'm talking about doesn't necessarily, um, if you remember, it, it doesn't necessarily equal eternal conscious torment in a lake of fire, right? If you remember this, this teaching a couple weeks ago. But what I want to say, what I want to affirm, what I want to make sure that we get or that we at least consider is this. I want to communicate and I want to offer the gravity of the implications of living outside of Christ. John in this book and the scriptures as a whole talk about two different humanities. One who is, that is made possible in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that God offers to us and we receive by faith. And something happens fundamentally in us that changes the way in which we operate, that changes our identity, it changes our position, so to speak. And to live outside of that, either to deny it, either to uh, just not care about it, or to flat out say, I don't believe that's true. This is a decision that we have. This is a choice that we can make. And I want to just pause for a moment and say, this is a huge deal. This is a massive choice. The implications of it are big. John says there is a sin that leads to death, ultimately to be separated from God forever. Now, there are sins that don't lead to death, and what he's saying is because if you're in Christ and you've trusted Christ, then your, the, sin, the death of your sin has already died in Christ. Right? This is the whole atoning work of God for the world. So we receive something that's offered and given to us that, that's grace. We don't deserve it. And yet God offers it. This is the nature of the gospel. This is the way the story goes. So I want to just implore you in the most non-judgmental, in the most non-manipulative way that I possibly can muster 
I want to offer to you an encouragement, an exhortation to consider what the scriptures say. I said a couple weeks ago when, I, when we talked about hell that I, I'm, I can't affirm the, a, a universalism where everybody kind of is redeemed at the end of the deal because of free will. I think we need to, we need to, we need to uh, safeguard free will in this whole thing and then because of the scripture and scriptures like this one. So I want to implore you, I want to exhort you to consider what is John saying here? And, and is this, how, and, and really here's the question I want you to consider. Here's what I want you to really wrestle with. Who was Jesus and, and was it real? Did that happen? Did this guy live and die and resurrect from the dead? And if Jesus did, what does that mean? And how do you answer, how do you reconcile the problem of evil in the world? How do you reconcile the fact that there is brokenness, evil, whatever you want to call it, sin in the world? And how does that reconcile? How do you reconcile it? Because those are the questions that are being uh, wrestled with when we're talking about the gospel, when we're talking about Jesus. So I want, to impl- I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you if you have not yet decided to follow Christ. This is huge. This is big. And there's no way around it in this text and many others. Now, John says, we can approach God with confidence because of faith in Christ. He says, remain. So John's writing to a group of people who are out there trying to figure out how to follow Jesus amidst, amidst all kinds of different uh, worldviews and different things that are vying for their attention, amidst persecution often. And John says, remain, remain, remain. You are in Christ. Remain in Christ. Abide in Christ. Be there. Live there. That's where you live from. And then he ends this passage with just a bizarro verse, verse 21. He says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols, right? When, when he read this, did anybody else go, what? Like he writes this whole book and then he gets to the end and he's like, you know what? Here's the closer. Here's the perfect illustration. Here's the emotional tie together. We're going to hang the whole thing on this one. Wrap it up with a bow. Keep yourselves from idols. That's a convincing one, right? So what's happening here? And, and here's my take on it. John is a pastor. He has a pastor's heart. And he's writing to people he cares about. And he says, listen, keep yourselves from idols. Which is to say, there are all kinds of voices out there vying for your attention. There are all kinds of things asking you to listen there, remember, remember the story of the sirens in Greek mythology. There are all kinds of compelling songs and voices that we hear. And sometimes they are destructive. The end is total and utter destruction. Now and forever. There are ways that we can go about ruining the lives that we've been given. There are choices that we can make, small ones, in small incremental ways. And I've watched this happen. I've watched students who were in my youth group who, who had said, yeah, I follow Jesus, I want to I do this deal. And then just slowly but surely, incrementally, decision after decision, moral compromise after just small things, little things. And by the time, and, it, and, and we can choose to ruin the lives we've been given in all kinds of different ways. And John says, be careful, watch out. Now, I recognize that this, this whole tone uh, has been 
uh, you might be going, oh man, this sounds gross. I don't like the way this sounds. Be careful, watch out, right? Let's build walls, let's build a force field, let's big, real big hide the big bad worlds out there and let's protect ourselves. Watch out, be careful. Everybody's on alert, there's a devil under every rock. Right, have you heard this before? And that's totally, I don't think that's the point of what John's getting at and it's not what I want to get at. But what I do want to get at is I love you guys. I love this community. You, you have become uh, a, a very small jump outside of family in my life. And I want what's best for you. And I want what God desires and created you for. I want you to live into the things that God made you for. And I just say, watch out. Be careful. There are things out there that pull us away, that, that vie for our attention. And I would say, pay attention. Stay near to the one who saved you. Remain, pray for each other, be for each other, support each other. Be in community, be close, close enough to hear one another and see each other. And so if I were leaving you, I would say things like, I want you to know who you are in God. I want you to know that you are, you, there is something fundamental that, has, that is a reality that's possible for you, that we can approach God, that we can be in relationship with God. And I would want you to know, I would want you to be encouraged, I would want you to remain in that, that that's where life is. And I would say, be careful, watch out for idols. And I would mean a whole bunch of different things by that, right? Things that we've talked about, things that I've written, things that I've said, all of the things that are a part of our life together that tie into that, I would say be careful. Because I love you guys.